Hey everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DarkCast Interviews is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about new and upcoming video games, as well as who they are and what they do behind the scenes. In this episode, I talked to Jesse Attard from Tactic Studios about Claire de Lune, a first-person puzzle game about a father who is separated from his daughter and must try to find and save her on a hostile planet. For more information about the game, check out the description below on YouTube or in the show notes to this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original DarkCast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at DarkStation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Darkcast interviews, everybody. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today, uh, for the second time, actually, this doesn't happen that often. It makes me super happy. But Mr. Jesse Attard, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So you uh, you were on the show. Uh, we were just discussing before the podcast started, like four and a half, five years ago. Uh, you're from a studio called Tactics Studio. That's right. And uh, you guys were working on a like strategy. Uh, game. Uh, how did that go? Before we get into like everything else, <laughs> let's, let's recap. Yeah. So, so back then, um, we had a, a game called Immortal Empire, which had already been released as a, a web like browser game. Um, it was like a cross between XCOM and, and Diablo and Dota. It was like a turn-based um, game, sort of like XCOM, but with characters sort of like Dota and items and progression kind of like Diablo that was the the weird blend uh, of that game uh, we had uh, got greenlit to launch on Steam uh, back when they kind of opened up their service uh, it wasn't fully open at that point so right. um, that, we were would that have been before people. Greenlight like came and died or was that kind of in the middle of all that it was right in the middle yeah okay. so they did an initial pass where they were being very cautious about only bringing in a few games then they did a second pass where they kind of brought in um, a wider volume of games, but still not everything. And we were part of that second pass. And then ultimately they demised uh, Greenlight and replaced it with a, uh, a fee, like a, you pay a flat fee to get onto Steam. And uh, so we were in that middle group there. So we got Greenlit. Um, I'm pretty sure at that time we had already uh, started on the current game that we're working on, uh, Claire de Lune. And um, we thought, well, we don't really want to be doing two things simultaneously, so why don't we kickstart it and see if there's any interest in bringing this game to Steam. So we did the Kickstarter interview with these guys. you guys. Kickstarter was not successful. Um, we raised like a quarter of the amount, and the amount wasn't high. So, I mean, clearly the demand wasn't really there. <laughs> but, uh, we, you know, no one really knew about it seemed to be the case. Um, so in the end, all the extra things we were going to add to the game uh, as part of the Kickstarter, we didn't do. Uh, we ported the game to PC anyhow, um, and we did a few things. Uh, one of the major things we did for Immortal Empire was we added voice actors, 
And the condition there was we thought, well, if we can't pay for voice actors. We'll just see if anyone wants to do it for free. So I just put a couple posts up. And we actually got quite a few responses of people that were willing to do it for free. And um, so we got a bunch of uh, voice acting in there. Okay. Other, cool. Otherwise, yeah, we just made it uh, the browser game into a um, like a fully fledged downloadable PC game. And um, yeah, uh, launched that on Steam in December 2015. So I guess about a year after we did our interview in a Kickstarter. And uh, and ever since we launched that, we've pretty much been focused exclusively on Claire de Lune with the occasional update to Immortal Empire, but, but pretty much only focused on Claire de Lune. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's a nice little bit of catching up there. That's I'm, I'm glad that, you know, um, obviously things didn't work out with Kickstarter kickstarter which is what we were talking about a lot when we interviewed you last time but i'm glad the game still got out there it's always heartbreaking when you know you're talking to a developer and that's basically like their only route to be able to make the game and so the the fact that it's still out there and you got things like voice acting in there and stuff like that that's really cool and it got you to the point that you're you're here now to talk about claire de lune but before we get into the game Let's talk a little bit uh, about who you are and what you do at the studio, kind of your background, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm sure I learned it all five years ago, but uh, forgive me if I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really long time to try and uh, retain that uh, information. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Jesse. I'm the CEO of Tactic. Uh, we're a super, super small company. Um, uh, we are uh, presently just two people myself and one other developer. Um, during the development of Claire de Lune, we were maxed out at about five. Mm. And Immortal Empire was basically just me with like other contract people. And okay. as you mentioned, some free voice acting. Um, and uh, yeah, like we were actually able to make Claire de Lune not off of revenue that we earned from Immortal Empire or anything. I mean, the game didn't generate a ton of revenue or anything like that. Mm. Uh, we were able to make this um, from outside investment Okay. as well as um, our government has a grant that we managed to apply and receive called the um, uh, Interactive Digital Media Fund. So we, between those two uh, inputs of, of revenue, we were able to, or not revenue, income, I, I guess I should say, we were able to uh, build Clear to Loom. Um, my responsibilities at the company, I do a little bit of everything, um, Historically, I've been a programmer, so I have a computer science degree, and all of my like professional experience outside of uh, Tactic was programming. So uh, I worked at Digital Extremes, which makes uh, Warframe. Um, uh, when, I didn't they, they've made a lot of things, though. When uh, when you were there, what were they working on? I mean, they've been working on for Warframe for like a decade now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Warframe started in 2013, right about the same time I, I was um, starting with Tactic again. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, they made a bunch of games. I was all before that. So, um, did you work on dark sector? I did work on dark sector. Fantastic. I, I actually really loved that game. I feel like it gets <laughs> way too much hate. It's sure it's brown and gray, like every other game of that generation, but <laughs> you got a metal arm and, a you know, metal boomerang that decapitates people. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. There's not very many games that uh, let you decapitate people with a metal boomerang. Um, although that, I mean, that's the funny thing about Warframe is that it's basically a, a rebuild of what Dark Sector was meant to be. Mm -hmm. Originally, Dark Sector was, was what Warframe is. It was this whole sci-fi 
um, game. I, d I don't know the details of exactly what the original pitch was, like whether it was meant to be the loot shooter that it is now. Um, but I do remember it being like this kind of stealthy gun. Yeah, you were you were definitely thing. like a space ninja. I remember. I think that was the first game announced for the 360 and PS3 like generation of games, and I remember just having my mind blown by that trailer where. Yeah, you, you were a space ninja with like a horn on your head because right. that yeah. makes sense, <laughs> um, and it just looked really cool. Yeah, um, it was wild because uh, when uh, they started that game, so um, we had been working on Star Trek for a while mm. uh, at that time, which is another product that I worked on, and uh, we had built up all the code to do a lot of the stuff that you see in Warframe, and then um, when they went to go build. Warframe, they actually pulled a lot of the assets that they had originally made for that um, old demo. I think it was 2004, um, which I was not a part of building that demo, but um, I think they ended up basically prototyping the core of Warframe off of uh, yeah assets from that original demo way, 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 oh, wow. way back. So it's just pretty crazy. It and it came together super fast. Like, I mean, I think it only took about a year before they had launched Warframe from when they started. And I think having that uh, starting point of those original assets and, and some of the code and materials from Trek allowed them, and Darkness 2, uh, allowed them to um, oh, yeah. Dark, prototype it and build it pretty Dark. rapidly. Did you work on the Darkness 2? Not very much. Okay. Um, I did briefly. Also a game I'm a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not very much. I was obviously at the company at the time, and uh, the, a lot of the programming staff that worked on that project are people that I hired. But... Um, I didn't. It wasn't like my main project. That was being developed simultaneously with Trek, and uh, I was working on Trek predominantly for the first two years of its development, and then I actually moved off of Trek onto a project that got that was um, unreleased. Okay. So it was another work for hire thing. We I did Bioshock Two and uh, Dark Sector, and then um, uh, you guys did the multiplayer for. Uh, Bioshock 2, that's right. That's, that's right, that's right. Good memory. So so many things Digital Extremes have been involved with. <laughs> yeah, well, there's other things too. We did the deal, a DLC packs for Halo 4. We did mm -hmm. um, the PC port for Homefront. We did uh, uh, the PS3 port of Bioshock 1. There was a whole bunch of stuff uh, that that company did. And that's the kind of studio that they were. They had their own projects like Dark Sector and uh and warframe but then they also had these work for hire things to keep the company going so i did more of the work for hire half gotcha. things uh at that studio and um and yeah and then yeah there was another work for hire thing that we were uh building like gearing up for uh right towards the end that i was doing while um star trek was finaling and uh yeah it just got canceled mm. so that was that was the end of uh, end of that. So so uh, so you moved on to uh, did you found uh, Tactic Studios? I did found Tactic Studios. Yeah. So, so I, I had actually had that company around for years before. Like I worked okay. quote unquote worked there while I worked at DE. Um, I had been building Immortal Empire starting like 2007, and um, I just built this like little web game. Um, in my spare time and I launched it on the web in like 2009. Um, so it's been around for a super long time, but I, I haven't really full time focused on tactic until probably around the time we, we interviewed in 2014. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. So, uh, was the, I guess the impetus to kind of focus on tactics, uh, or tactic, 
uh, to not necessarily do all that work for hire stuff, but to be able to do the you know the stuff that's your vision rather than not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I loved working at the big companies like that, and um, you know, I would certainly do it again. But uh, I, I just felt like at some point I needed to try building a game before I get too old, and it seemed like a good window to do it. Um, especially with Steam opening up and becoming more available, and there seemed to be a lot of other indies going that route. So I felt like you know now was a good opportunity to try. Um, there was another, obviously we secured this fund from the government, so that was obviously a big, big help that allowed us to start this process. And then we secured this outside investment. So between those two things, when those two things materialized, I thought, okay, I can uh, dedicate uh, my time full-time to doing this and allowed us to hire people to help work with us. And there was another, I have a partner who, um, I, I guess he's not technically a co-founder, but I would call him a co-founder. He's been around basically the entire time, um, who uh, is another programmer who basically wrote the entire 3D renderer for our engine by himself, which is pretty insane. And is, yeah. Yeah. So between him, him and I, we built this engine and, um, and yeah, what went, went from there and, and been building the game for, for several years now. That's awesome. Awesome. So I, I guess that's a, a good segue to get into the game, Claire de Lune. Um, I guess, you know, to start off, what is the kind of quick elevator pitch of the game? And then we'll, we'll get into more of the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, the, the short of it is that it's a first person puzzle game, but it's, uh, I guess you could, Portal is probably the biggest uh, name that people would know in that genre. Um, although I'd say it's probably closer to something like uh, one of the frictional games like Soma. Hmm, okay. Played that, um, where the puzzles are less about using, uh, you know, the implement like the portal gun. We do have a, a complement to that, but um, it's less about that and more about uh, there's mini games and there's some platforming sequences. There's little stealth sequences, some combat stuff. Um, there's a whole story with characters in it. It's a it's a more uh, I don't know if you want to call it a broad experience. There's a lot more different elements to it. Sure. Um, I mean, Portal's a really great game, obviously, but it's more focused on just that one mechanic. Right. And it's got, like, the funny GLaDOS stuff, <laughs> storyline kind of in behind it. But um, it's a pretty short game, and it's, yeah, all centered around that one mechanic. It was a really, really amazing mechanic. Don't get me wrong. But uh, um, no, no, Nobody's bashing Portal here. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, God, no. I'm certainly not doing that. Uh, I'm just saying ours is different. Ours is different in the sense that there's a lot of the other – um, aspects to it that uh, you know pull from other genres as well. Sure, um, and I, I think that's definitely not a, a bad route to go by any means because I feel like most of the games that you know ascribe themselves as kind of the next portal uh, generally fail in that regard because you have to have a like an amazingly strong core mechanic and then somehow like pair an incredibly good like story around that and that's like to build your entire game on only two things and have them both be like amazing. That's an insane thing. And I, I think portals probably the only one that is ever going to achieve that <laughs> at that level. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's um, other really great first person puzzle games out there. I really right. like Alice principle. Um, yes. you know, like the witness. I, I never got into the witness. I, I, the, the way the puzzles that never like intrigued me, Enough, but yeah, Talos Principle is probably one of the few that I would put up there, kind of with Portal. Uh, Cube Two, I actually really liked. I don't know if you played that one. 
I played Cube uh, 1. I never played the sequel. Uh, the sequel is a lot more story-driven than the first one. I played the second one first, and I was like, this is great. I should go back and play the first one. And, yeah, no, they're, like, light years apart. I should definitely, definitely give it a try. I made it a, a plan, obviously, when we built this game to go and play as many first-person puzzle games as I could, just to be sure that we weren't duplicating someone else's <laughs> ideas and to get, you know, inspiration and stuff. And um, I haven't played Cube 2, so I should um, check that out for sure. It's a, it's a good one. Um, it's in that kind of, like, tier just below Portal with, like, Talos Principle and stuff like that, in, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's a tough genre to build because, uh, as you're mentioning, to, to try and match something like Portal because, as you mentioned, the, the, um, the game mechanic has to be amazing. And... Uh, there's not very many amazing game mechanics. <laughs> there's really nothing as cool as the portal gun, right? Like that's a pretty iconic right. and thing that is hard to top. Um, and and on top of that, puzzle games just in general are just a really tough one to nail because for some people, and we've seen this in focus testing of our game, mm -hmm. they play the game and they're like, "This is way too easy. Right. Like, where's the challenge? Where's the puzzle?" And you have other people that like can't get out of the first room. And they're like, your game is so hard. Why don't you add something to make this simple? Right. And you just yeah. sit there going, how do you please both of these customers? Like, Absolutely. How do you make this, this game difficult and challenging for people who are good at puzzle games while still easy enough for people who just kind of want to follow the story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, re I remember watching my college roommate play Portal 1, and there were so many times where he would just be stuck at a moment, and I'm just – like I'm screaming in my head is like, how have you not figured this out yet? Um, and it's just, I, I don't know. I think some of it has to do with just like reading video games. Um, well, if you're someone like yourself, it sounds like you played a lot of games. If you're someone who's played cube and played a whole bunch of puzzle games, you kind of know what you're getting into right. and you know what to look for. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's what we're finding is that people who've played a lot of games before it's pretty straightforward, but for people who, uh, don't play this set of game, they get into it and they're just completely lost. So, right. so what? Uh, so, Claire de Lune is more than just a, a puzzle game, uh, but that's definitely a part of it. What are some of the other kind of, I guess, core aspects of the game? Well, the, even the puzzle mechanic that we have, one of the main puzzle mechanics is this thing called the nano gun. So, that's like our uh, complement to the portal gun. Um, although you don't have it for the entire game. Um, for a fairly large portion of the game, you've got this thing called the nanogun, and it creates um, objects out of uh, nanoparticles. So this is this semi-real technology that doesn't exist yet, but it's theorized that uh, you can create these incredibly microscopic little robot thingies that can do whatever you want. Um, so that's the idea in the game, is that uh, you have this nanotechnology and uh, you can use it to create matter out of nothingness. So, um, for example, you can create a cube that will let you uh, jump up to higher surfaces and using it as an interim platform, or you can use it to, you know, squish enemies or, like, launch it across the room or land on triggers or hold open doors or all sorts of sorts of things with just a simple cube. Um, and then you have a few other uh, game mechanics as well. Um, you have this thing called an attractor, which pulls the cube towards it. You have a repulsor, which pushes the cube away from it. And um, you also have um, the booster, which lets you jump around the level. So um, the core game mechanics will revolve around the use of that gun in creative ways. Uh, in terms of other stuff, 
platforming as a big element. So in the same sort of way that in Portal, you utilize the Portal gun to do the platforming, um, it's the same kind of thing here. So if you've maybe seen in the trailer, um, one of the examples is you put the cube on the ground in front of you, you jump on the cube, you spawn the attractor uh, on some surface ahead of you, and it pulls you forward and you ride it like a like a surfboard or something. So, uh, <laughs> like a like a future cube surf surfboard or something like that. So there's all the different ways you can you can do that. You can jump off of it and then fly with the momentum of it flying. You can push yourself up or um, sideways, or you can float a cube out in, in space and jump on it there. Um, uh, like I said, you can make these little boosters, which are kind of like mini trampolines that you can attach to surfaces, and then you run into those and they launch you up into the air and um, yeah, so a lot of the platforming surrounds utilizing the nano gun. And then, of course, there's just basic platforming, like jumping and stuff that you would get in any uh, sort of typical platformer. Uh, stealth. So uh, there are some stealth sequences in the game. Again, it's not a huge part of it, but um, you know, there are some enemies that you encounter, um, beasts in, on, the, on the planet's surface, and some uh, gun-wielding bad guys in the... Um, in the research facility that you encounter on this planet. And um, yeah, there's some sequences where you have to kind of dodge them and, and avoid them predominantly. Um, and then there's like a, a combat sequence uh, towards the end of the game. So some first person shooter stuff as well. Okay. Um, how does uh, stealth work? Uh, kind of like puzzles. I feel like that can be a, a pretty delicate uh, gameplay system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, the way that it works, it's basically just a pure avoidance thing. It's okay. like um, you try and track the enemy's movements. You look at where they're facing. Um, you can do things like spawn the cube to distract them and turn them away from you. You can hide in uh, uh, you know, bushes and stuff to, to conceal yourself from enemies. Um, but it's, it's basically like uh, enemies have a, have a patrol route and you need to figure out how to get past the patrol route or manipulate it in such a way that you get past them. Okay. Um, I guess like Last of Us is probably the, the the most similar, although there's no like you don't uh, get to like kill the things. If you were playing Last of Us without your gun, <laughs> I would say it would be kind of like that. There was a few sequences in Last of Us where you try to get through without startling anybody and. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's similar to that. Okay. Very cool. Is it a, uh, if you're spotted, it's over, or can you kind of, like, lose the enemies? Right now, if it's spotted, if you're spotted, it's death. Okay. You may change that. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> tricky, right? And I, I found, taking Last of Us as an example, I've really found that... Um, it's a bit frustrating, right? Because you, you don't know when the guy's just about to turn around. Right. You think you're safe, and then you might get you know 50% of the way through the level, and all of a sudden the guy turns, and you weren't expecting them to, and then you got to start all the way from the beginning again and mm -hmm. kind of replay the same thing that you just did. Right. So it's a tough thing to get right. <clears throat> um, and I just played through uh, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. It has some stealth stuff in that, and it's completely the opposite of that, almost to an... Uh, um, like a silly degree where you can just like back away from the people and they'll be like, eh, whatever. And they'll, they'll give up on you and you can just stealth right back up to them again and kill them two seconds later. Right. Um, so there's, there's like two extremes of, of how you can go uh, with, with stealth. And um, 
that's one aspect of the, the game that we're still working on. Like the, all the platforming and, and puzzles are pretty much set, but the stealth part of it, and even the combat to a certain extent, is something that's still in development that we might uh, make it a bit more forgiving. Okay. Very cool. Um, so you mentioned that there uh, there is some combat, right, with with guns and whatnot? There is, yeah. Okay. There's a sequence right at the end, and without spoiling too much, um, yeah, you, there's a, like a first-person shooting uh, segment. Um, it's not like a shooter. I wouldn't call the game a shooter at all. It's like a, it's meant to be a varied experience. You're, you're meant right. to feel like you're going from one thing to the next um, in a realistic way, rather than having like a core game loop that you're always doing every single time. It's not like mm. Mass Effect where it's like level up talk to people, go shoot some bad guys, level up, talk to people, shoot bad guys. There's nothing like that. It's more like you're going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and each element is a little different. And even the environments themselves, um, each one is pretty radically different. So there's like a big acid area where you have to contend with this environmental hazard of acid being everywhere and these plants that are trying to kill you. And there's this area with these like little crab spider things you might have seen in the trailer that you mm -hmm. have to avoid and the way you would dodge them is different from some of the other levels and then there's sequences um uh that are much more subdued where you're just just you in a room and you have to kind of figure out how to um you know navigate your way through this uh facility that's been abandoned for some mysterious reason okay now you you mentioned the uh, the crabs and I, I did see those, and uh, just seeing like in the trailer uh, the crab jumps on you and and you die. Uh, is that <laughs> uh, is that the way that death generally works? Do you have a health bar or health packs or regenerating anything, or is it kind of a a one hit kill? Right now everything in the game is a one hit kill, okay. so it's pretty ruthless. Um, and the, the, it's a bit. I don't really know what to do with it because I like the fact that it's a one hit kill. Those sure. crabs are very likely going to stay a one hit kill mm -hmm. and the gigantic beast that chases you and, and murders you. If he catches up to you, that's another sequence we show in the game, in the trailer mm -hmm. is also a one hit kill. Um, he, he definitely seems like he would be a one hit kill. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right now there's very little room for error. So if you make a mistake, it, it, you, you tend to die. Yeah. Um, however, with the, what we're going for with this, and this is if we can achieve this, it would be great. Um, is uh, you you make an encounter, you're probably going to fail it maybe the first time and possibly the second time, but hopefully pass it on the third attempt. Okay. So we don't really want people taking more than three or maybe five attempts to get through um, an area, and the idea being that like once you've kind of figured out, okay, that's how I get around these crabs and now i kind of understand how fast they move and um you know what their pattern uh, is and, and how to avoid them then i can pretty easily get through uh, the remainder of the level but you know with, with some challenge you still have to have good timing and, and watch their movements but uh you're not just going to get immediately destroyed by it gotcha uh, that actually, uh, kind of you describing it that way, makes me think of Limbo, and that there's tons of like surprising deaths that, <clears throat> that you can have in that game. But then, kind of once you you know what to expect, you can dodge what's going to happen and make your way. And it's not exactly difficult; it's just you never know what's going to happen one moment 
to the next. That, you know what? That's a really good example. Limbo or Inside, either of those games. I play both of them. Um, really, really cool games. I love those ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. And we, it's not like, like, again, having just come from Sekiro and all the Souls games, it's nothing like that where you die and then you've got to like respawn way back and like re-kill all the enemies you just killed and, and then have to face this like really difficult <laughs> boss and die like three times in a row. It's nothing like that. Uh, it's more it's more like a like a limbo type experience and there's many different ways you can get killed in the game presently. Have you had any issues with people during like playtesting where um you know if if you look at the trailer and or you know especially if you just see part of it um you could easily think oh this game's going to be kind of like Portal and then the first time you die you're like wait what I can die in this game? Have you <laughs> like how how do you introduce that like I feel like most games it's pretty easy to introduce that you can die because you you expect to die in most games, but a lot of more puzzle oriented games they tend to make you feel safe yeah um, that's a I, really good point uh, the, the, your first opportunity to die well i mean you can you can fall off things and die um by like jumping incorrectly, but mm-hmm. the jumps at the beginning are pretty easy. Uh, I suspect the crabs will be people's first deaths. Okay. Um, we give them a bit of a warning. Um, so when you first encounter the, those crab sequences, we just kind of point them out to the player. We have like warning signs up, <laughs> which makes sense in the, in, in the context of the fiction of the game. They're doing research on this place. And so there's like, hey, warning, deadly crabs nearby. <laughs> um, so there's, a, there's some sense that like these things are dangerous and you have to avoid them. Um, but I still think people will very likely die because the first time you encounter them, you don't know what they do. And we don't tell you like, Hey, the crab is going to do this when it sees you (laughs) and here's how you get away from them. Um, and that's, it's, it is a difficult thing to do, right? Because we want people to experiment and learn and learn through potentially dying. Um, but dying can sometimes feel really crappy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel like, come on, what the hell? I, what, I didn't do anything wrong here. I just played your game and now I'm getting killed. Um, but it's nothing ruthless in the sense that when you die, you respawn like right there. We have a ton of spawn. It's not like a Mario game or, or, or a Souls game where the, there's specific save points that are way, way, way back. Mm. There's a spawn point right there. You can immediately try it again. And uh, hopefully with, like I said, a few attempts, uh, you'll get the sense of how these things behave and, and be able to avoid them. From that point forward, there's quite a few ways you can die. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping people will be a little more cautious uh, after the, the first crab death that they're almost certainly to experience. Okay, very cool. Uh, now, kind of moving on to the, the story of the game, obviously don't really want any spoilers, but it, it from the trailer, it looks like it centers around uh, you attempting to save your daughter at the beginning of the game and then losing her and basically trying to, to find her again over the, the main course of the game. Is that the general gist of it or that that's the gist of it. Yeah. Okay. At a very high level. Um, the, uh, yeah. So to, to give a bit of a backstory there, you're playing as this character, John, who's a smuggler and he's run into some problems with, uh, the, uh, people who he smuggles for, so like these cartel or mob type uh, entities, and uh, him and his daughter try to escape uh, them and uh, leave on this spaceship that he owns. Um, partway through leaving, however, uh, 
they're very inexplicably uh, pulled towards this planet. And uh, they can't explain it. They don't know why, what's pulling them down. And, um, and they crash. Uh, John uh, and Claire are separated. Claire goes off in the escape pod, so she's safe. And John tries to land the ship um, so that they can get off the planet. And um, so he's trying to get back to her escape pod and find her. And uh, uh, however, along the way on this planet, obviously the planet is, is dangerous. It's got these these evil crabs and giant beasts and killer plants and all sorts of um, things that you have to contend with. Um, it's probably not much of a spoiler given that it's in the trailer that they encounter this uh, abandoned research facility where um, nobody seems to really be there, at least it seems abandoned, and something has gone wrong. And um, uh, so uh, probably the last half of the game is exploring this facility, trying to find out what happened there, and uh, and, and still trying to find and, and uh, bring Claire back home, repair your ship, and, uh, and get out of there. Okay. Very cool. Um, I, I don't know if this if the answer to this question would uh, be a spoiler or anything, uh, but from the trailer, it it kind of seems like Claire is going to be. Um, kind of a princess in a castle that you're going to, to chase after is, <laughs> yeah. does she serve a bigger role than that? Uh, to be honest, she doesn't really. Um, okay. She's the, it's a little more obviously than a princess in a castle thing that you get from Mario or anything. She's not you know, merely, merely there for that purpose, but uh, she, she's not like a playable character or anything like that. Um, she's there to, as like a device that um, tells the story of him and her and John. So most of their story is actually told through flashbacks okay. because she's not there um, during the majority of the game. Um, so but you do get to see Claire and, and kind of encounter her story. Um, but it's outside of the start of the game when you two are together. After you're separated, it's all told through uh, these flashback sequences. Um, which kind of explain how they get into the circumstance that they're in and uh, elaborate on their relationship and, and um, round out those characters some more. Um, I don't know if this will ever materialize, <laughs> but I, I, I will say this game is actually planned. I have it written as a two-part thing. Okay. Um, there is part one, uh, which is what this game is, and I actually have a whole second part already written. Um, and it was important that I have both of these written so that the whole story arc makes sense should we ever get an opportunity to build that sequel. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the sequel takes a different arc, um, and uh, there's no princess in the castle in that second part uh, scenario. And, and, and the, the way that it's set up in, in, in this game uh, is built this way to to make the second half work. <laughs> if if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And I definitely understand wanting to to get it all kind of figured out beforehand because you don't want Claire Delune 2 to just be Claire Delune harder. Um, yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay, that uh, I'm, I'm like really intrigued now. I want this game to be successful so that then uh, in the future we can talk about the sequel. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see it completed. I mean, 
it's a long shot, right? I mean, sure. obviously we want the game to be successful, but it's a it's a pretty uh, difficult and competitive industry, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like it would have to sell pretty well for us to consider making a sequel. But it's the kind of thing where if you follow like Game of Thrones or anything, you know, I'm, I don't know if the, the author of that book, do you follow that series at all? No, I, I watched some of the TV show, but never really got into it. I'm that one weird guy. That, well, uh, I... <laughs> just to elaborate on on how that works, you get the real sense that the author of those books, maybe who knew if it was going to be the sensation that it was, I'm sure he didn't know when he wrote that first book, but he clearly planned out the whole thing from like book one, right? Yeah. Um, like there's all these things that are foreshadowed in the very first like pages of the first book, and I just thought if we're gonna make like a full game, even if we never have an opportunity to make the second one, it has to make sense sure. as a whole, right? Um, so yeah, any of the the kind of princess in the castle tropes that you encounter in the uh, in the first game would be, I think, pretty heavily erased in the second one. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, where is the game kind of at in development now, and what are you guys uh, shooting for as far as uh, release date? Uh, the game is pretty far along i mean it, it feels far along given how long we've been working on it for um but we are i'd say probably about a year's out from finishing okay. um we don't have a fixed release date yet we don't even know exactly what platforms it'll be on we know it'll be on pc and it'll likely be steam uh that's where we've launched before um but uh, we have been looking at doing uh xbox and playstation ports as well um however those will almost certainly come after we do uh, the PC version. Okay. And uh, as far as how far it is, um, I mean, we have all the content, so all the art, all the animations, all the cinematics, voice acting, music, it is all 100% uh, built. Now we just need to put those things in the levels and make the levels actually function. Hmm. Most of those levels are done as well. Um, so... There's, honestly, if this were a studio of like any even medium size, we even had like six people <laughs> instead of two. <laughs> uh, it would be like months for it to come out. If we were ten people, it would be coming out like tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's just when you have only two people, every single thing falls on us, right? Sure. So if someone has to build the website and someone has to build the trailer and send out press releases. You know, then... sit here and talk for an hour about the video game. <laughs> yeah, which, don't get me wrong, I love doing. Uh, but uh, if someone's doing all that work and that's work that has to be done, then the game isn't making even a lick of progress. Right. Right. It's not moving one inch. And, um, you know, if I have to go in and uh, edit voice acting audio and edit the music to, to synchronize it with a single cinematic that maybe has a bug in it where the eyebrows don't blend properly. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a week's worth of work and nothing else is making an inch of progress while that's being happening, right? So um, that's why these things take a long time and it can it can seem really, really complete with, like I said, all the assets and art and everything's there. Um, but it's just every little tidbit to get it to be bug-free and functional, you know, from end to end, uh, you know, takes a ton of effort. And um, so, yeah, it's still probably about a year. I would okay. say before it'll be completely finished, but we really, we really don't want it to pop out and be half baked and, and buggy and 
and not the full experience. So uh, we're going to take our time to get it perfectly right. And, and certainly once we know uh, the final release date and have a final uh, and now, uh, launch trailer, we will be in touch again. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, well, I think that's all my questions for the game itself. So now we'll move on to uh, what we call the end game. We may have called it the lightning round uh, last time we spoke, uh, but the questions have changed since then. So uh, this this should be very entertaining. I always find it entertaining. I think it's more torture for the people I talk to, but I have a great time. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's do it. Let's do the end game. All right. Uh, so the first question is very straightforward. Who is your favorite video game character? It can be hero, sidekick, or villain. Uh, you don't have to play as them. Yeah, it can be literally anybody, but relegated to video games. Mm, that's a tough one. This is hilarious. I'm going to have to go back and, and listen to my interview from five years ago and see what I said back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, geez, it's hard to pick one, right? I, mean, I have so many uh, favorite characters. Even someone like Shepard from... Mm. Mass Effect, who is is only a character because you play as him or her, uh, it's still like a, a really memorable experience. Mm -hmm. Those three games, I played the first one and imported my character to the second one and into the third one. And uh, you, you sort of develop your own personality, but it still feels like a, a game character. I mean, I might go in that direction. Um, I just I, I can wax about Mass Effect from here until the end of time, uh, but I I do want to mention it. It's really amazing how much it makes you think about your character when you can import it, because um, I love Mass Effect Three. I'm not one of the pe people that hate it. It's, it's definitely probably the sloppiest of the three in terms of storytelling, and it's got its issues. But I I absolutely adore it. But because there's no Mass Effect Four to carry Shepard over to, I only replayed it I think twice. Um, because I wasn't like, I didn't want to learn the game to figure out exactly like what my shepherd would do in this scenario to be like ready to import into the next game. Um, and it's, it's weird what that mechanic can do to make you just, I, I replayed the first one like 14 times oh to, my God. Uh, to know everything about it and have, I had to create two different, uh, shepherds, uh, because I couldn't just have one that was evil and one that was good because, Evil Shepherd, Renegade Shepherd is just a dick. Like they're not. It's not okay. Like you're. I couldn't do it. I, I yeah. So I I had to create two shades of gray, and to be able to do that and be like consistent in the way that they were gray, I had to like, I I literally had to role play these characters and and use the backstories that you can choose to basically create a foundation for how I made decisions. And it was, I, I, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, it was always crazy. Uh, every, it didn't happen often, but there were a few times where the game would actually like reinforce the way that I was thinking about the game. I remember at some point in the first one, uh, my uh, uh, male shepherd uh, was uh, the lone survivor backstory where, you know, you're on, uh, I think it's a coos mm -hmm. and uh, your entire squad dies. You're the only one that makes it out. And there's some point where I'm talking to somebody and I was like dismissive of what they were saying. And they were like, hold on. I know you're distrustful after everything that's happened since a coups. And I was like, exactly. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those games are amazing. I, uh, my brother worked on them, actually. He worked on uh, Mass Effect 1 and 2. Oh, um, yeah, so it was pretty cool. Um, 
I love them. They're definitely some of my favorite games of all time. And uh, I haven't played them 14 times. I haven't even uh, replayed them. Um, um, in fact, I tried to, and I've done this with other Bioware games. I'm a big fan of, of a lot of their games, Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate and yeah. uh, Knights of the Old Republic and uh, this one, Dragon Age. I've played them all. But uh, I've tried to do an evil playthrough, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. This is something in my brain. It's like as soon as I'm like, okay, well, I've never done a bad guy playthrough. I'm going to do it this time. And I tried yep. to play Mass Effect 1 again and tried to be Renegade. And I was just like, yeah, but I can't. These guys, <laughs> I just cared about them too much. Even though they're like non-real things. I just, I ended up just doing the exact same thing. I picked the exact same choices. <laughs> my character was still a good guy. You know, I was like, I have to romance the same person. It was like a... So I didn't. Uh, I just stopped partway through. I'm like, okay, I'm not. Gonna, I'm <laughs> clearly not going to play this differently. Um, but those games are so neat because I definitely at the very beginning I actually didn't realize that the choices were ordered to be like Paragon, Renegade, and then the neutral. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that like the top ones were Paragon, the bottom ones were Renegade, and the middle one was neutral. And they just had these like one-liners. So I was just picking like the one-liner that kind of made sense. I remember right at the start, there's some dude who like asks you for some help, like a burial or something. Mm-hmm. This is way back, but yeah, um, uh, uh, his wife I think died on Eden Prime or something like that, and he needs to get her her body for a proper burial. Uh, right, I think but for there's like a scientist reasons. that wants to use it for research. Is yep, that the yep, thing? Yep. I forget what I, I picked, but I picked. I must have accidentally picked the renegade option. I don't remember what it said. But then, like, my guy, like, grabs him by, like, the neck and, like, pushes up against the wall and, he's, like, duh, 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 and says something like, whoa, I wasn't trying to say this to this guy who just lost his wife. I was just trying to say, like, we need it for the research. <laughs> and uh, so uh, – Exactly. That's, that's why Renegade – like, you can't just be full Renegade because then you're just a dick. Um, yeah. Like, nobody would ever do that. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, it. Uh, but still, I, I love those games. And when they, the second one came out, and they had the renegade options where um, they would pop up the thing on the screen. Yeah, push people out the window and whatnot. Yeah, and it was very obvious. Oh, it's in red. It, I press this trigger button. I know I'm going to do something evil here. Um, and even then, I found them like oddly tempting. Mm. There was one in particular in Mass Effect Two that I remember where some guy was being a dick. And then um, this it zoomed in on this like electrical thing, like this little taser type thing, mm-hmm. something like that. And it's like, like <laughs> press the LT to zap him with the laser. I'm like, well, I gotta do that. This guy's being a dick. I'm gonna zap him. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, I thought that was a much more graceful way of uh, of putting it in, in Mass Two uh, than in Mass One. Although I, I, I thought Mass One was still awesome as well, but. So I, I don't know favorite character. I mean, it might have to be Shepard, but geez, there's so many cool characters. Um, even villains. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's what's your favorite uh, character if you had to pick one? Um, it, so in, in a lot of ways, it's Commander Shepard, but I have two very distinct Commander Shepards uh, mm-hmm. that, like I said, I spent way too much thinking about and figuring out how they were different and be consistently different. And I created story arcs where like each one did opposing uh, decisions at the end. But then by the end of the second game, they had kind of flipped roles. And then by the end of the third game, they kind of changed roles again. And like, I, I mapped that stuff out way too much. So because (laughs) I can't really choose between the two, 
Uh, probably my favorite video game character would be uh, Geralt of Rivia from The Witcher games. He's quite a badass, yes. I do like Geralt. I just played through Witcher 3 not long ago, actually. Uh, it was quite fun. Um, I actually have a written list of like <laughs> my favorite games. I'm going to look at it and see. <laughs> I know, this is what happens when you're a game developer. I'm sure people who just play games do this, too, maybe. Do you, do you keep a gigantic written list of every game you've played? No, I, I no. used to try to keep everything organized by console and what I needed to play and what um, I played, and it just got too unwieldy, and I, I stopped doing that, and I realized I was a lot happier not constantly thinking about that. You know what? I, I, I almost... I kind of have to. It's like I have to, to look this thing. I love going back and like reminding, reminding myself of all the games I played. Um... Uh, nothing's popping out here. I might have to say it is Mass Effect. Oh, well, I've loved the characters from Day of the Tentacle. Do you know that game? I know it. I've never played it, but uh, I probably own it in some form because I think it was remastered recently. Yeah, it came out uh, again not that long ago. I'll throw that out there. So uh, any of the characters from Day of the Tentacle, Bernard Hoey or... Uh, Laverne, they're more like realized characters that have their own personalities outside of uh, Shepard, who's kind of someone that you create yourself. So uh, I can put that as my official answer. And I, I do love that game. So okay. there we go. Nice. I like it. Okay, so completely changing uh, tracks. Uh, if you could replay a video game again for the first time, so you don't have to worry about it aging or anything like that, it, it's still just as good as the first time you played it, but if you could have that first-time experience with one game again, and it can't be Mass Effect or Day of the Tentacle, because we've already mentioned those, what would it be? <laughs> it would be Dark Souls, for okay. sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, unquestionably Dark Souls. Um, I, I would do that even putting Mass Effect and... Uh, um, Day of the Tentacle aside. Um, I love a lot of games. Like there's a lot of games that I, I could never just give like a top five or even top 10 or maybe even top 20. It would be impossible. But mm -hmm. Dark Souls, the first time I played it, have you played any of the Souls games? Uh, I played a little bit of the first one and gave up very early on. Um, and I'm actually currently trying to play Sekiro. Uh, and I've made it further in that than I ever did in Dark Souls. So How far are you in Sekiro? Um, I, I think I'm at the first big boss, the guy that's on the like horse or pig or I don't, he moves too fast for me to really tell. And he kills me super quick. Yeah. Uh, but that guy, I uh, stabbed a snake in the eye. So I was like, Whoa, that's weird. Yeah. Um, but dark souls, I, I spent about 10 hours in and I think about seven hours of those were literally me just trying to get, I think it's. Is it is it Blight Town that you're like on some roofs and stuff, yes, and you yeah. go up you go up this like small tower onto some some battlements, and there's yeah. like a troll thing. I think it's got a hammer or something. It's right before I think the first big dragon appears. I never made it past that guy. I literally would just kill all the stuff on the on top of the roofs of the buildings, make mm -hmm. it up to him, die, get back there, collect my souls, die. And you did... the big red dragon? No, before the dragon. Like before the... the dragon. I know what you're talking about. That's in Undead Parish. Blight Town is later on. Blight okay. Town is like really, really dark. Okay, not that. I, I don't know the name. So uh, Undead Parish, sure. Yeah. I, I, it's been a long time since I tried it. Yeah. But um, 
Um, but yeah, literally just hours and hours of trying, like, I, I could barely have enough time with the boss to, like, learn anything about it before I died. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would just do it over and over again until I finally lost all of the souls that I had accumulated over that course of time, which I think was like <laughs> 60,000, which oh I don't know if that's God. a lot, but it was, it was a lot for me. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. And Why do you spend them? Why don't you level up? But I never could because I would get to it and then die and then have yeah. to recollect them. So I never actually had any souls to like level up. I couldn't, you know, the the fog like closes behind you and you can't like run away from it. Uh, I see. And yeah, it was just it was awful. It was <laughs> I hated it. And when I finally like lost all that like I was okay with it as long as I didn't actually feel like I was losing progress mm-hmm. because I was getting my souls back and I was like eventually I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to be able to like level up to 100 like mm-hmm. you know early on in the game. It's going to be amazing. And then I lost it all, and I was super pissed. <laughs> That's painful. Never went oh. back to it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually had the exact – not exact, but very, very similar experience where I think it was actually the first boss, the um, not the tutorial boss, but the Taurus demon in Undead uh, Burg, which is one of the first bosses you fight. And I, very the same thing. And I same thing as you. I quit the game. Um, and I, I thought, I'm never going to play this again. And um, like, yeah, I don't Taurus, that's the thing. I just looked that up. I people have probably told me. I always call it just a troll. Yeah, he's got a hammer. Uh, he's on a, a battlement. Yeah, that's that's him. What's that's the, where I was. What's the, what's the name? Is it Taurus Demon? Yep. Yeah, you had it right. I could. I never learned the game well enough to know anything. Yeah. Okay, so you stopped right where I stopped. Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Interesting. <laughs> I'm gonna impl- I'm gonna implore you to try again. You're probably not to. gonna. You're probably not going to, but <laughs> let me just say this, because I did the exact same thing as you. I did stop, and I stopped right there, too, and uh, and I put it down, and actually, you remember how I told you that at Digital Extremes, um, we started a new project mm-hmm. that got canceled? That project was a Souls-like game, ah. um, and uh, the uh, people, the publisher, said, you have to play through all of Dark Souls if you're going to make this game that's like Souls. <laughs> I'm like, okay, because I was a, a designer on this game. So um, I'm like, all right, I'll go back and play it. So I forced myself to play all of Dark Souls for this publisher, and uh, it was like one of the best games I've ever played. Once I got past that point, and like, that really is the point. Like, If you can get past that boss and then get to the probably one, the very next area, then you're fine because at that point you'll be able to level up really easily You'd be able to uh, upgrade your armor and your weapons really easily. And at that point, you won't have what you experienced, where you're just dying over and over again, and you can't get your uh, your stuff back. Um, and uh, and then I loved it. Then it was like, wow, this game is amazing. And um, once I kind of got it, uh, and it's it's actually easier, I think, than Sekiro. I thought Sekiro was quite a bit harder than Dark Souls. So if you're... If you're far enough that you're getting killed by that guy, Gyobo Onoa, uh, that guy. Mm-hmm. The guy that shouts uh, his name as he runs in. Yeah, my name is that guy. <laughs> if, you're, if you're getting killed by him, I feel like you've already, you're, you're, you're good enough to be able to play through Dark Souls. Mm. I, man, 
so, so it's, so I, just, it's again, been nine probably, years since I've played that game. Looking probably at Steam. Won't, anytime I recommend, oh, you should go back and try it. I know that it will never happen, but just know that uh, another person went through exactly what you went through and then uh, was forced to pick it back up again. And I'm so happy that I did. Um, I've now played through all of it. Hmm. I played through the DLC. I played through the second one, all of its DLCs, the third one, and Bloodborne, and they're like some of my favorite games now. All because this one publisher forced me to play the first one. <laughs> and, and the reason why I would choose it as a game to replay from the beginning, uh, it really is that. It's because it's one of the few games where um, I you get a real sense of accomplishment and a real sense of... Uh, dread playing through the game and, and mystery it, it's a game you feel like this world wasn't built for you right um, you're walking around in it um kind of experiencing it almost as if you were in the game and experiencing it as the character is experiencing it some other games i mean like again i loved mass effect it's a you know top 20 game for me but you know when you walk to the edge of a cliff in mass effect there's an invisible wall and you're not going to fall off Right, you're rarely going to die. I mean, you might die a couple times throughout all three games. I think I maybe died ten times. I would say over all three games. You know, Dark Souls through all those games, it's in the hundreds for sure. Right, it's several, it's several hundred. And and then those deaths, while frustrating at the moment, um, uh, you know, they they force you to to get better at it and to learn it, and you, it really gives you the sense of accomplishment once you've once you've completed it. Um, and just the world design is amazing. Like that, the first one in particular, Dark Souls, is so like interconnected. You're, you're like exploring this like dark area, and you're like, where the hell am I? And then you like <laughs> finally unlock this door, and you pop out, and you're like, oh, here's where I am. <laughs> and you're like way back at the uh, the place that uh, you know you you started from, and there was like this door that you like ah, I can't open this door, and then you find out, oh, oh that's what it is. Right. Yeah. I. You never know. I'll, I don't generally say never, but uh, I'm not going to promise anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. I Believe me, I've recommended this game to too many people to know that and then have them never play it to know that it's uh, it's unlikely. It's a long shot. It's <laughs> All right. So um, back to the questions. Uh, <laughs> if you could give a game a second chance. Uh, so, you know, maybe you, you just didn't like it. Uh, maybe you played it at a bad point in your life or something like that. But if you would like to give a game another shot, uh, with kind of erasing the, uh, the first time, the, the bad experience with it, what would you like it to be? Hmm. That's a tough one. So a game that I played that maybe I didn't enjoy and I, I put down and then never went back to. Yeah. Kind of like when you went back to Dark Souls. Kind of like that, but a game I didn't I didn't go back to. Oh, that's tough. Maybe Double May Cry. Um, I had a similar experience with Double May Cry. I know a lot of people really like that series, and yeah, it was just kicking my ass. I couldn't beat like this early section of the game, and I put it down. And uh, there was no publisher coming back to tell me I had to play it. Um, and in fact, I worked at Capcom at the time, and um, I had played it because we were making a mobile version of Devil May Cry. And then we eventually said, actually, we're going to stop that mobile game and we're going to make something else. I think we switched over to Resident Evil or something like that. Um, so then I put the game down. I didn't bother going back to it. Obviously, there's like multiple sequels and it's come out again and again and again. I love uh, act, third person action games where mm -hmm. you're wielding swords. So I probably would like it. Um, 
And yeah, I should probably give that one a try again. Okay. So are you talking about the, the original one or? I think it was three. Three? Okay. Let's see which one it was. Devil Cry 3. Would, when would that have come out? 2005? That's what the one. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I died pretty – there was some section where I died really early on and um, – yeah, I just kept kept dying over and over again. I didn't know what I was doing wrong, and I thought eh, I got to give this up. It's always a, a terrible feeling when you you can't figure out like why you're you're dying and how to fix it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, what is a a good trend in video games? Uh, whether it's it's already uh, prolific or or not, maybe only a game or two do it. Maybe it's it's widespread, but something that's you think more games should do? Um, I like I like games that have challenge. Mm. So there's the whole Souls Shocking. trend That's... of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the whole you know Souls trend of games that you know challenge you where you don't immediately succeed. That's. Uh, you know that's I think a, an interesting new trend that's really revived a lot of uh, a lot of genres for me. So I really like that. And uh, secondarily, I'd say um, the whole independent games thing that's been going on. It's like a golden age of independent games over the past probably about ten years or so since like Braid. I would say was maybe the, one of the first ones that I can think of that kind of kicked off this whole phase. You're getting a new uh, group of game developers who have tiny budgets, and because of the advancement of technology with engines like Unreal and Unity and such, um, you're getting a lot of really interesting creative games coming out of these smaller developers. And uh, it's just so awesome to see. I mean, it did feel for a little while there like we're in a bit of a rut, like you're just getting sequels and sequels and sequels. And you still get that out of some of the big publishers. Sure. You know, um, Call of Duty, however many versions. And, uh, you know, even games that I love. Like I love Civilization, for example, and there's been six different versions of it right right and there's definitely going to be a seventh one <laughs> <laughs> right and uh, and remakes of games and all this stuff and so it's nice to see something actually new and original and you're seeing that all over the place with uh with indie games lately yeah absolutely okay so uh flipping that on its head what is a trope in video games that you wish you could see just either lessen or go away altogether um i had a really good one for this Lately, I was just thinking of, and now I've forgotten it. Like, like a few months ago, I was playing some game. I'm like, you know what? I see this all the damn time, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a bit of a tongue-in-cheek one and say it bugs me in games. Well, two things in games that bug me. These are more like pet peeves rather than tropes. But okay. it bugs me in every single medieval game ever. Like any fantasy or medieval game, they never use the word help. They always use the word aid. Hmm. Like, why is that? Why is it like, I'm going to come to your aid? Or like, I'm going to aid yeah. you. Yeah. But watch out for it. If you find the word help in any game, like set pre-1900s, I will give you 10 cookies. <laughs> <laughs> because I swear to God, they always use the word aid. And uh, the other one would be when the characters in the games are like complimenting the own game. <laughs> it's like... There's a moment in Mass Effect Andromeda, which, believe it or not, I played all the way through. I did, I did too. Uh, did you really? Yeah. Did you like it? No. You didn't really? I didn't really like it either. It, so it's um, – I feel like it, it 
it very easily sits on the continuum of Mass Effect ness where the first one is very story driven and you simply participate in combat to get to the next story bit essentially Mm -hmm. the second one uh and i think it's why most people like it the most is probably the best balance of story and and combat Mm -hmm. um personally i think the combat of two is is not quite good enough to uh hold up how much of an emphasis they put on it and how often you're like having to hold an area and just how many enemies there are in the game and how much you're killing people like it's it's not quite good enough three is kind of a little further down that spectrum the the story definitely takes more of a a backseat not in terms of you know where it is front and center in the game but just in terms of quality and writing and everything it's definitely not as good, but the the combat they they throw in the evasive role in there, and they change the way that uh, cooldown timers work with all of your abilities. And I, I think the blend of combat combat works really well for how much you're you're fighting stuff. And then Andromeda really is kind of the exact opposite of the first Mass Effect game, where you're kind of going through these story bits just so you can get back to the combat. And I think actually playing that game is a lot of fun, and the what you can do with crafting and switching between uh, the different sets of abilities is really cool, and I had a good time playing the game. I just really hated everything else about it. Uh, it feels <laughs> like Mass Effect fan fiction, honestly. Um, That's a bit of a weird one. Yeah. And the, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it's a game that's anybody that like bashes it, I will defend it ardently because it's almost like your little brother or something. Yeah. But then I will just beat the crap out of it, if, like when it's just me and the game. Like I have a I have a serious disdain for it. So little brother's probably not a good example. Uh, I don't have any little brothers. I'm the youngest, and my brothers never actually beat me. Nobody worry. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's that kind of relationship where I'll, I'll defend it to somebody else, but, uh, I'll have words with it. Uh, it's just the two of us. Yeah. Andromeda. Yeah. Like I, I loved one, two and three mass effect. Uh, I'm not a hater of three at all. I thought it was awesome. And, um, I didn't, I didn't find the ending weird or anything. I I thought the whole thing was great. Honestly, I felt like a real deep sadness mm-hmm. after the game ended. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to play this anymore. Sure, and uh, it was a really weird feeling. But um, Andromeda, I was really excited for. And like the opening of it, I felt felt pretty good. Um, I, I just felt like it didn't evolve. It's like they had basically one boss. Mm-hmm. And the enemies were just the exact same. I never really had to do anything to beat them other than aim at them with my gun and shoot them. And it was just the same thing, like over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the game's super long, mm-hmm. and like, even the final boss was just a rehash of like all the other bosses that you fought up to that right. point. I'm like, come on, guys! And especially having just come from playing, you know, the Souls games, for example, where every character is different and you have to relearn them, and the bosses are so intricate, and the world designs every single level is different and special. And even the other Mass Effect games, where you've got these missions that are well-crafted and characters that you're meeting and you just didn't get any of that in Andromeda. So even though I think they had a core mechanics, it looked great and everything. Mm-hmm. They just, it's like they just stopped and were focused on making content instead of, um, you know, uh, variety or something like that. But, 
But the but the, the the thing I was mentioning about people complimenting their own games is that at one point in that <laughs> oh, game, oh yeah, I was they, like, uh, how did we get here again? <laughs> at um, one point in that game, the character there's like there's like icicle things that are coming out of the ground, and my character says, "Wow, that is so beautiful." And I'm looking at this going, "That's eh, not that beautiful," <laughs> <laughs> and it just always bugs me because I'm like, obviously I know. Someone had to write that who works at this company. Someone had to like make the art that goes here. It just seems a little self-aggrandizing to have like to make your own characters in your game complement like the look of your own game. <laughs> so that always yeah. just kind of bugs me whenever I uh, I hear that. So those are two pet peeves. They're not really okay. tropes, but um, if I had to pick a trope, it would probably be violence. Um, okay. uh, you know, my game does have some violence in it, uh, so you know it is there. Um, but there, there's some games like having worked on darkness two, which was like an ultra, ultra violent game. And, um, it was, it's a bit weird to have people like, especially working on it a bit to have people talk about like how incredibly violent they want it to be. And it's like, we really need to be able to like, rip out his guts and like tear him to shreds and take out his heart and eat the heart. It's all this crazy stuff. I'm like, do you though? <laughs> like, right. Does it need to be like that? Um, and and that, that trope has kind of gone away. So I mean, it's not as much of a, a trope nowadays. But there was a window there with like Doom and Quake and um, uh, you know, especially uh, Blood and Rise of the Triad. I'm going way back here, mm -hmm. but um, there seemed to be like a trend of like let's see if we can make the goriest, most violent game possible. And uh, it was getting a little tired. I felt after a certain point and uh, I think the industry has shifted away from it for yeah. that reason. So I, I would agree. Yeah. I remember, I, th I think it was God of war ascension where <laughs> like you, it was like an elephant boss or something. I remember the announcement trailer at E3. Um, whenever that game came out, it was like the season of like the return of the ultraviolence. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just remember like for the first time being not caught up in it, but being like, do we, does that like, really, do we need to be able to like scalp an elephant man and like see his brains on the floor and stuff? Like, how is that helping anything um and i think i feel like because of the reaction kind of around that time you know we've, we've got games that uh kind of glorify it's like the the reboot of doom and everything mm -hmm. um but they they feel more i don't know almost one-offs than kind of the general gist of video games yeah like, like i said i don't really have a problem with violence in games generally speaking i don't seek it out or anything like that it's more just it got i felt like it was starting to become a trope like starting mm -hmm. to become everyone's trying to one-up each other in terms of the violence like moral combat and uh, that was all around that same time violent. <laughs> yeah, yeah still, and that's sort of it's it's thing right um but it just all these things were happening all at the same time yeah. and i think people thought at that time that you had to make your game as violent and obscene as possible for it to get noticed and they're just trying to like outdo one another, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, like I said, eventually I think people kind of veered away from that and started to branch out in more creative ways. Definitely. All right. Um, what is a profession that you would like to give a try? Uh, this is not assuming that you, you have to stop making video games or anything like that. But if, if there was anything else that you could do for a living, uh, no holds barred, what would you like to give a shot? 
Um, that's a tough one. I, I, there's a few other things. I mean, I'm a programmer, so I mean, there's so many different fields I could do as a as a programmer. If I if I'm still in the programmer field, I think I could do some interesting things in medicine uh, with programming. If I have to leave programming entirely, if that's part of the rules of this of this game, uh, then uh, I think I would probably do music. Okay. Um, again, that's still in the uh, game development realm. I wrote some of the music for Immortal Empire, so maybe that's not fair. But yeah, that would probably be the other direction I would go is like composing music. Okay, very cool. I like that that's why that's what I thought I was going to do, to be honest. Okay. Origi- yeah, originally, like all through high school, before I ever learned to program, I uh, like was really big into music. I learned to play piano and guitar and wrote uh, music on the computer, like little orchestral things and stuff, I've written hundreds of things. And um, it wasn't until I started to program when I was about 16 or 15 or something like that, um, that I realized, okay, I think I could probably make a real career out of this, whereas unlikely that I can make a career out of writing music. So, Excellent. Okay, so uh, this is the the last question of the end game, and I'm actually I'm gonna try something a little bit different. If it doesn't work, then we'll go back to the normal version, which is super weird. Um, but if you say you're, you're walking down the street, and your favorite video game character, so your version of Shepard, shows up, what would you want them to say to you? <laughs> okay, so if Shepard shows up and mm-hmm. says something to me. Yep. Uh, geez, I don't know. Some something inspirational about like saving the galaxy. Like, I'm trying to think of any lines from <laughs> Shepard. Um, hey man, let's go on a ride in the Normandy and go get Saren. I don't know something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really sure. That is a funny question though. Um. Okay. So. I, I... I'm going to I'm going to field this out over the next couple of interviews. We'll see how it works. The other version of the question is uh at the end of your life, you get to the gates of the mushroom kingdom uh mm-hmm. because that is the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um Toad is there guarding the gate, uh dutiful mm-hmm. Toad. What do you want him to say to you before he lets you in? Right. So like yeah, 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 that's the that's the inside the actor studio one. Yes. Yeah. Some some of these are are from that. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, just that you were a good guy who made cool games and had a good family and were a good person and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. You know, I can't think of anything super poetic, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you just you just want to spend your life making interesting, creative things. The games for me are such a big part of my life. Um, you know, outside of obviously all the other aspects of your life, like your friends and family and stuff, but uh, um. I felt like I, so much has been given to me by the people who created these video games. I definitely want to hopefully invoke some of that in uh, in other people um, right. if I can. So uh, yeah, if I'm able to to make something that someone likes and it, it touches them and changes them and, and helps them in some way, then uh, you know that would be pretty awesome. Excellent. Well, congratulations, you survived the end game. Uh, you didn't die in the snap. Uh... I guess, yeah, because there's other things called in-game now, so I have to accommodate for that. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <yeah. laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, that 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 is it. Thank you so much for for joining me on the show and talking about so much stuff. I feel like we, we a very small segment of this podcast is actually about your game, uh, but I had a great time talking with you. Um, if you want to send this out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about Claire Delune. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks very much for having me. Uh, you guys, um, uh, I remember from the last time that it was a very well-researched uh, interview, and um, clearly you guys play games, and uh, it's always good to talk with other people who play games and other Mass Effect fans. <laughs> um, I'm always here to talk about Mass Effect whenever you need me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, in terms of where you can find more about the game probably the best resource is clairegame.com which is the website there you can find the trailer you can find all our social media twitter instagram facebook um and uh that's probably the best way to follow along with the development of the game and um yeah uh it'll still be a while before it's out and uh yeah, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to to catch up again when the game um comes out and uh we can talk about, uh, I don't know, some other game that you love. Maybe we'll talk about Dragon Age that time because I played all those <laughs> too and they're great. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again and uh, best of luck as you guys finish up development and get the get clear balloon out the door and into people's hands. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Likewise. Likewise.